It's good to be here finally. Thank you for coming. Let's start with a short prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word that you long to speak to us. I pray you might speak through me now and may we all leave here with something more to believe and something to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, the sun was shining, the water was beautiful, the rays glistening off the surface. It was inviting and so in she dived. The refreshing coolness of the water was a welcome relief from the day's heat until her head hit the sandy bottom and her life was changed forever. From that moment, 17-year-old Joni Erickson Tarder was paralysed from the shoulders down, a quadriplegic. By all appearances, her life seemed to be over. Her hopes and dreams for the future extinguished. Well, where do you turn when you feel like you've come to the end of yourself? When it feels like life is bearing down on you and you feel hopeless and sapped of joy or strength? Do you turn to the distraction of entertainment? The numbing effects of sinking another bottle or having a hardcore blowout on the town? Do you go for the retail therapy fix? Or maybe... It's uh, burying oneself in a hive of career activity. Because it's certain to come, that moment in life when we feel like our strength is spent and we're done. We've had enough. And over this last year, many of us in different ways will have felt like that at one time or another. Whether it was witnessing the deterioration or even death of a loved one, or sensing our own weaknesses within, being visited by illness ourselves. Living in recent COVID times has touched us all. No one's escaped its grasp. We've all been tested. We've sensed that our strength has felt sapped at times. Maybe it's felt joyless as the storm of life's been swirling around. It's beautiful today, but life has been difficult over this last period, and life can be difficult. Maybe the answers and solutions we had hoped the world would bring us have failed. The inability of the world to meet us in our deepest moments, in the dark night of our soul, has been exposed. It only offers a thin gruel, and it leaves our heart hungry and hurting. Well, the wonderful news for you today is that there's a medication for the soul in a world that has shown us the depths of our weaknesses. In fact, in many ways, that that sense of the psalmist here of feeling weak and his strength being spent, maybe even a hopelessness, it's a common experience in life. In many ways, it's unsurprising across the span of human history. Maybe even it's something we thought wouldn't visit us so sharply in our technologically advanced and sophisticated 21st century age. But it has, and we need to listen to God. Well, the psalm we're looking at today, 71, it touches on many of those themes I've just raised. It's not clear exactly who the author is, but it is clear that they're an aging man, possibly 
even some sort of ruler. And they're becoming very conscious of life bearing down upon them. The sense of strength being gone as an enemy is working against them. And this psalm echoes themes seen elsewhere in the book, especially the opening section of Psalm 31, which probably points to the fact that this psalmist here is recollecting truth about God that they've heard in the past via oral tradition. Talks about that earlier, from my youth you've been my hope. Well, as the writer of Ecclesiastes has said, there's nothing new under the sun. And the struggles of the psalmist here are ones that we share too. And there are real lessons for us today. Firstly, we need to make God our refuge. Now, refuge is defined as a state of being safe or sheltered from danger or difficulty. So if you're walking in the hills or mountains, you'll often find refuge huts that were built to shelter people from the elements, like this one here. Now, walking such trails can be stunning and beautiful. But it's important to know that if refuge is needed, it can be found. And as much as there is a need to take refuge from storms on a mountain, life is full of its own metaphorical storms from which we need to take refuge. When tragedy strikes and we sense danger or difficulty coming for us, it's a natural human response to seek refuge in something. The problem is, though, that we so often seek refuge in the wrong things. We might seek to take refuge in relationships or in our health or, or wealth, our status or career. Now, there's nothing wrong with those things in and of themselves, but their role is not ultimately able to provide us with refuge in life. They're neither designed nor able to do that. And that's why when people do take refuge in those things amidst life's difficulties, they very soon discover how incapable those very things are of providing any real refuge at all. You see, what we need is steadfast refuge. We need God. And we need to join with the psalmist in making God our refuge. Because he alone is the one who can rescue us and deliver us from our troubles. Like the psalmist, we need to make God our rock and fortress. Look at this picture of the lighthouse keeper. In the midst of a raging storm, he takes refuge in the lighthouse. Nothing else will suffice as a refuge. What a fool he would be if he thought that maybe he could try something different. He, he'll build his own little refuge on the side of the lighthouse. No, he'd soon discover the futility of that. He's only truly safe within the lighthouse. And it's been built, it's been designed to do that. So we're unwise if we seek refuge outside of God. Because only he will suffice as refuge for this life. And by making God our refuge, we can know true shelter from the storms of life, true deliverance from danger. Now, on one level, that's because by making God our refuge, we can know that in this life, our final security deep within and the foundation of our peace is in him and not in circumstance. It's found in the one who's unchanging and unshakable, whose grace and love towards us is always reliable. 
As finite beings, we need an infinite reference point. That gives us stability and refuge in this life. But on a deeper level, by taking refuge in God, we'll also be delivered from a greater storm, a storm of judgment that's coming upon this world. So by keeping God as our refuge, we can know that he'll finally deliver us from the enemies of sin and death and grant us everlasting life. And knowing that gives unshakable hope. Which is why, as well as making God our refuge, we also need to make God our hope. Now, without hope, our lives have no meaning, really. It's basically impossible to persevere through the challenges of life without any hope. Consider a swimmer going across the channel. It's actually something my my sister recently did as part of a relay team raising money for charity. But as hard as a swim can be, there's that hope, isn't there, that land is going to appear on the horizon soon. If fog descends, therefore, and the land's not visible, the person who doesn't know of its existence is going to feel helpless and hopeless in the water. But the one who knows that land's not far away will still be full of hope, despite the lack of its visibility. And it's, it's like that with following God. If you're here today and looking into Christian things, fantastic. But I hope you're beginning to see that trying to navigate this life on your own, when you don't know what's coming up, and you don't know God, makes this life terribly difficult and hopeless. But wonderfully, it needn't be that way. Because for the Christian, even when times are difficult, knowing that God exists and is in control of all things, knowing his character and what the promised future holds, it's a great comfort amidst those circumstances. Especially if we're in the teeth of real struggle. Now, the the psalmist here speaks of that, of concern that he's going to lose his strength as he gets older. His enemies are going to continue conspiring against him. He has seen troubles. And life can feel like that sometimes. As it goes on and the aging process kicks in in different ways, we can feel like, oh, our strength is fading. Similarly, we will have all sensed, perhaps at one time or another, that there are people working against us who don't like us, whether in the workplace or social contexts. That too can make life difficult. But by having our hope in God, verse 5, we can have confidence even from our youth. A confidence within. It's not a self-confidence, it's a God-confidence. He goes on in verse 6, even from birth, we can rely on God. Why? Because he's the very one who brought us forth from our mother's womb and is fully deserving of praise as our creator. And in spite of anxieties, the psalmist says clearly, verse 14, as for me, I will always have hope. I will praise you more and more. And what's his final hope? Verse 20, despite the troubles he's been made to see, he knows that God will restore his life again, even from the depths of the earth. 
None of us can escape our own mortality. This last year or so has shown us that very clearly. But hoping in God helps us to face that reality with confidence because Jesus has gone before us and set the pattern. That's why he's called the first fruits of the harvest in the Bible. For just as the first fruits will dictate the pattern for the rest of the harvest, so too with Jesus. Knowing life's many troubles, bitter betrayal, being pursued by enemies, Jesus died and was buried in the depths of a tomb, but then rose to life again to be exalted in honour to the Father's side. He's been there. And the glorious Christian hope is that we too will share in that wonderful resurrection. That even though we die, like Jesus, we will rise again to new life and new honour in God's sight. So when we feel the weight of life and sense our weakness, and even perhaps sense those who are acting against us, we can have hope in God, both for this life and also in the wonderful resurrection life that's yet to come. See, living without that hope will only lead us to despair. But being full of that hope, it brings great strength. So we must make God our hope. But we also need to make God our inheritance. Now, the most expensive watch ever sold at auction worldwide is the Patek Philippe Grandmaster Chime, which fetched 31.1 million US dollars in Geneva in November 2019. I did have it on me, but I forgot to bring it today. 31 point million sounds like a lot for a watch, doesn't it? But I was looking up about Patek Philippe and I thought, well, well no worries, there's cheaper ones that are around just the 65,000 pound mark. So uh, if anyone's looking for a watch, there you go. But you know, one of the reasons they've done well as a watch company is due to clever advertising. They've shaped people's thinking about their product into being less just a watch and more of a family heirloom. And their tagline's very catchy. You never actually own a Patek Philippe. You merely look after it for the next generation. It's clever, isn't it? But there's something far more valuable and worthwhile than any Patek Philippe watch could ever be. And that is the gospel. The gospel's the greatest thing we can ever inherit. And it's the greatest thing we can ever pass on. Just think about why you're here today. Who told you the gospel at some point in your life? Was it through family or friends? When you were very young or a bit older? Think who told you the gospel. And then think about who told them the gospel. And keep thinking back and, and you realize you're part of an unbroken chain of gospel inheritance that stretches right back into history to the very beginning of the book of Acts, when the church was born. You see, the church has existed and grown as people have shared the gospel with others, especially the next generation. Think of a relay race you might have seen at the recent Olympics. I'm not talking about the US relay team because we know they've all been struggling with their handovers for a while. Think of a world-class relay team and how smoothly they hand the baton on to the next person in the race. 
That's a picture, if you like, of what it is to be part of God's church, both in receiving and then passing on the inheritance of the glorious gospel. And I hope you can see how it would be crazy not to pass it on. Just as it would be madness in a race to receive the relay baton, but then not run your own leg. Now look, we know in a relay that once the fourth person's received the baton, then it's due to end shortly. But this is a different kind of relay race. Perhaps more like the relay of the Olympic torch as it goes around all those people and countries over a much longer stretch and time period before the Olympics. I hope you see yourself as part of God's relay team, if you like, and that you want to play your part in passing on the baton, the inheritance of the gospel. You see, the church just cannot survive through a network of individuals keeping the gospel to themselves. We must fulfill our duty of passing it on to the next generation. And that's exactly what we see the psalmist committing to do here. Even in the face of challenges and difficulties, he vows to pass the gospel on to the next generation. My mouth will tell of your righteous acts. I will declare your power to the next generation, he says. There's both a receiving of and a passing on of this glorious inheritance. And it would be a failure, wouldn't it? Even a betrayal to not do so. No, we like them must fulfill that role of passing on the gospel to the next generation. Maybe you think, yeah, but the younger generation, I don't get them. <laughs> They're difficult to connect with. Where do I begin? Well, there's many ways, aren't there? There's a strong youth program here that they can be involved in. Facilitating their involvement in that is one way. There's summer camps that have recently happened that recur annually. There's holiday clubs. There's many youth resources out there. Maybe speak with John Spence about that. But look, take encouragement from the psalmist's own confession in verse 15. My mouth will tell of your righteous acts, of your saving all day long, although I know not how to relate them all. It's an admission, isn't it? It's not easy. But we need to simply be prayerful and faithful and persevere in handing the inheritance on. And you cannot know the effect you might be having as you slowly drop gospel seeds into young hearts and minds over the years in the family home. It's a wonderful parental responsibility. Not always easy. And that's why it's good that it's also a corporate responsibility that's shared as a church. So we must be looking to pass the gospel on to the next generation so they too can know of God's mighty acts and then in turn declare it to the generation after them and so it goes on. But unlike a Patek Philippe watch, with the gospel we, we both keep it for ourselves and give it away. It's the greatest thing we can ever receive and the greatest thing we can ever pass on. So let's make God our inheritance. And to have the strength and longing to do that, finally, we need to make God our joy. You see, joy is more than happiness. It operates beneath present circumstances, right in the foundations. Clearly here, the psalmist is facing hardship. 
But despite that, verse 23, has lips that shout for joy and want to sing praise to God. And it all flows from from the foundation of his joy. And he's not singing for joy because Messi's coming to join Chesham United. He's not singing for joy because he nailed that presentation which all but guarantees the next promotion up the career ladder. No, it's far deeper than present circumstance. Very simply, he sings for joy because he's been delivered. And this is the essence of the Christian faith, understanding God's rescue. God is a God of righteousness before whom we stand unrighteous. We're like the before section of the Daz advert for washing powder. Unclean in God's sight. We sort of seem all right compared to each other, but in God's sight, we're not. And we know we've done wrong. We we know it's true that we need his forgiveness because he's perfectly righteous. And much like in a court of law, his righteousness makes a case against us, if you like, that says we're, we're guilty. We've broken his laws. And yet, Wonderfully, it's that same righteousness and in that same righteousness that he rescues and delivers us. Think of the person working for the RNLI, throwing out a lifesaver ring. That's the picture. Someone's caught up in deep water and they're saved. God offers to rescue and deliver us. Verse 15, it's God's great saving act. Here we have Our righteous creator God, who we read reaches to the heavens, but also we know reaches down from the heavens to rescue us. God's status couldn't be greater, and yet he's most concerned for each of us, despite our lowliness before him as his creatures. So look, let's not try and vainly save ourselves. We can just grab hold of that life ring and be saved. And imagine the joy of someone who's been rescued at sea. That's the joy we should feel. I'm safe. It's the joy of our salvation. Something David speaks of in Psalm 51. A joy that longs to declare praises to God and also of God. And we worship fully when we we both declare God's greatness to him, but also to the world. And particularly to the next generation. Now, life doesn't always feel joyful, but we can grasp the joy of God in the face of life. Verse 20, though you have made me see troubles, many and bitter, my tongue will tell of your righteous acts all day long. Joni Erickson Tarder, after that tragic dive, well, she's experienced, no doubt, suffering as much or more than any of us ever will. But she's not let it keep her from speaking of God's truth and goodness. Rather, she's used her troubles, many and bitter, no doubt, to give her a deeper perspective. She writes that God permits what he hates to accomplish what he loves. She's testified to God's goodness in the face of her struggles. As the Old Testament scholar Alec Motcher has written, trouble is opportunity for testimony. And we know what our testimony must be, don't we? this side of the cross. You see, the psalmist, like all God's Old Testament people, trusted in God's salvation, but knew not how 
it would be done. But we know that in Christ, God came down in human form and made himself a servant so that in dying on the cross, we could be forgiven and in rising to new life, we could receive the promise of eternal resurrection. So let us join with the psalmist and make God our refuge, our hope, our inheritance and our joy, now and always. Amen.